we started the series last week, as you may know if you're here, and if not, then you'll see the bulletin. This is number two uh, in that particular series. But a series called Chasing the Wind, based upon uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is kind of a, a different and seemingly strange book in the Old Testament that that can, if you don't read the whole thing and fully understand what the author is going for, that may be a little bit frustrating or confusing to read. And so uh, we're looking at this, calling it Chasing the Wind, uh, out of the, uh, the NIV version, which, which talks about that most things in life are just like chasing of the wind. I really believe, as I told you last week, that that many people are asking the questions that are reflected in the book of Ecclesiastes. I really believe that, that as the title of the sermon this morning says, that many people are wondering, what's the point of it all? Even if they ask it just to themselves, when they get up and they go to work each day, when they just seem to be on a treadmill in life, they, they've got to be wondering, what's the point? Why do I do what I do? Why do I continue these things? Maybe maybe you feel as if, as I mentioned last week, you're just chasing things around a track, never seeming to be able to catch those things. Maybe that's how you feel. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're not there already, Ecclesiastes is toward the middle of the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Now, the word Ecclesiastes has the, the meaning of, of this teacher or preacher, uh, or, or maybe in your version it still uses that Hebrew kolhelet. Uh, maybe it uses that. that just uh, It's basically one who assembles a crowd to say something to them. And so that's kind of what you have here. You have this person who is an assembler of a crowd speaking to them, and in some translations it's rendered preacher, in others it's rendered teacher, and, and that's just a guess at what this person was trying to do. It sort of makes sense that they were some sort of teacher or some sort of preacher trying to get across this message, but at any rate, they're a person who assembles a crowd. This series, as I mentioned to you last week, is based upon the fact that I really believe, and I think you would agree, that when we scan around the world and we see different individuals and people and the folks that you live with and work with and are around and have in your families and so on, I really believe that many people are simply chasing the wind through life. They think and assume that they are accomplishing something because they are a paycheck or because of, of the things that they accumulate or the stuff that they do, and yet, for the most part, we simply are chasing the wind. We, we chase this elusive idea of whatever might be next and out there, and it's often very disappointing. So this series is for those kinds of people who may come this morning and you feel as if, what is the point of what I'm doing? I don't take for granted that even in church we we are not without people who are extremely depressed this morning, who are who are struggling with major issues in life. And I'm not going to single anyone out. I'm just going to scan the crowd. I don't want you to feel as if I'm talking to you and I'm going to make you get up here. That's not the point. But I know that, that we have folks who are really struggling. And, and at times when you struggle like that, you do wonder, well, what's the point? Why, why is it so hard? What's, what's wrong? And so this series is for those kinds of people who wonder, am I just chasing the wind? And so I asked you last week if you would pray for the preparation of each sermon, if you would pray for the people who need to hear the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. They don't need to listen to me preach. They need to hear this message. 
And so I, I hope that you're in prayer for that and will continue to maybe invite folks. As I told you last week, and I'm, I'm going to give you just a short recap of what we looked at last week for those of you that, that maybe need a reminder or weren't here. We just looked at an overview of the book. We looked at some repeated phrases that are there. We looked at the overall message of the book, and we saw how it's broken down, that structure, that there's a little prologue that we'll see at the beginning of the, of the book in verses 1 through 11. But then you have this long monologue from chapter 1, verse uh, 12, all the way through chapter 12, verse 7. This monologue by this person known as the teacher or the preacher, and which constitutes the bulk of the book. And then you have an epilogue written by the person who's essentially giving commentary on all that this preacher has said. Said, who really, this, this commentary person, is the author of the book. And that's uh, at the end of chapter 12. So you have, have this structure of the book. And so today, what we're going to begin to look at is what the actual teacher or preacher has to say. What we'll see this morning is the prologue, the beginning of the book. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, give us a summary, essentially, of the book's contents what the preacher will actually say. So we're going to begin looking at some of the things, exploring some of the things that will help us determine what really is the point of life. So let's look at it together. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You'll see these on the screen. If your translation is different than mine, feel free to follow along. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility, everything is futile. What does a man gain for all his efforts he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind. And the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place and they flow there again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled by hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can anyone say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no memory of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will also be no memory among those who follow them. It's a pretty depressing passage of Scripture, is it not? You get this summary, though, of what the teacher is about. This person is going to take a very secular perspective, a godless perspective on life. Just know that as you read these verses, this is by intent a godless perspective on life. It is a very depressing outlook. It seems that the answer to what is the point of it all is nothing. Life is hard, and then you die. That's essentially what this person is trying to convey by his point of view. So his tactic is to make this completely secular, a godless view of life, and write the conclusions that you would have if you approached life from that point of view. Now, as we move through this passage this morning, we're going to look at those two perspectives that are possible in this. The first, of course, being his perspective. Totally secular, totally godless. But then we're going to look at really what is the point of the book, and that is to see these things from a God-oriented perspective, a biblical perspective. So I want to give you just a little reminder here that will form our central idea that we'll follow along and fill out as we go on this morning. So if you remember nothing else, make sure you remember this and live it out this week. Here's a little reminder from this teacher in Ecclesiastes. I'm just passing through 
I'm just passing through. That sounds like such a cliche. But this is really what he's reminding us of, and I'll show you this as we move through it. I'm just passing through. Now, now here's how a lot of people live according to this particular truth. I don't think that any of us can deny that life really is sort of short, but but our response to that truth is different. Some people, I guess, really don't believe it, and they're surprised by the short time uh, that they have on earth, and they have lots of regret. I see this when I do funerals. Uh, the people who, who are now burying a loved one took for granted how short life is. And as a result, I have done funerals where there is the overwhelming emotion, it's just regret. That's all it is. It, it's sorrow, but yes, it's just regret for wasted time. And they don't understand, uh, you know, that, that that you can't get that back. You know, you can't you can't sit and talk to the dead and somehow recapture what you lost. And people try to do that. I've seen that. So you have people, I guess, who really don't believe that I'm just passing through life is short, and and so they they have just lots of regrets. They get to the end of their life, or they get older, or they lose a loved one, and and then it hits them. Wow, life really is short. I guess you have other people who who do believe it, and as a result, they live with almost a, a death wish. I, I remember uh, reading about Mickey Mantle, and some of you will, will know this about Mickey Mantle. Of course, he's the Hall of Fame outfielder for the Yankees and the greatest switch hitter that, that ever lived and all those things. And I'm not a Yankee fan. It's hard for me to say that about someone who was a Yankee. But anyway, he, he was great. But he, he lost his grandfather uh, at, a, at a young age. His dad died at a young age. And Mickey Mantle assumed that he was going to die very young. So you know what he did? Whatever he wanted. Whatever he wanted. Literally. He drank and he womanized and he did all the things that you would do if you figured you're going to die tonight. You understand what I mean? He just went after it. I'm going to live life however I want because I'm only here a short period of time. So he almost lived with like a death wish. Well, I'm going to die soon anyway, so I might as well go on and enjoy everything that I possibly can get out of this life. Of course, for people like that, there's lots of risk taking. You probably know someone like that. They just, uh, you know what, I mean, you're not guaranteed tomorrow I'm going to live it up. I'm going to do what I want to do. They live for the moment. Well, side note about Mickey Mantle. Later in life, he gave his life to the Lord. And and I remember seeing an interview, I think it was from the mid-80s or something like that, and he was interviewed and, and people, the interviewer was asking him, well, what would you say to young children? You know, talking, he's thinking about baseball. How would you help a, a young player? And he just said, don't be like me. That's exactly what he said. Don't be like me. He said, God gave me a great gift, and I just wasted it. Lots of regret, I guess, in that kind of lifestyle team. I think some sort of believe that I'm just passing through, but maybe not, not all the time. This hits them at certain times, and these are our nostalgic people, sentimental, and, and Christmas and, and Thanksgiving are especially important to them because, well, we got everybody together, and we'll just kind of, you know, hang out. And, and, and then the other times they just live their lives, and you know people like this. Maybe you've got folks that are just extremely nostalgic or sentimental at certain times, and it hits them. Okay, I'm just passing through. I may not see this person again, you know. And, and it may be, maybe you're a younger person. You've got grandparents that are aging now, and you get especially sentimental when you talk with them or whatever. But the rest of the time, you just sort of live your life. So maybe you believe this, but, but not all the time. I, there are people I really, I really think who do believe this statement. I'm just passing through, and because of that, they make the most of life. 
realize it's short, and they have lots of fulfillment and lots of joy because they make the most of what God has given them. I wonder which one are you? Are you the person, you don't really believe that you're just passing through and you're just shocked anytime you lose someone in your life? Or anytime reality hits you, or maybe you're the person who's just out doing whatever you want because you do believe it, and you're going to live it up while you still can. Or maybe you're that person, well, yeah, I think about it occasionally, but but not very often. Or maybe you're the person that you say, you know what, I realize life is short, and man, I want to see God do something in my life, and I want to be fulfilled, and I want to have joy. I wonder which one are you and which one... We want to be. The teacher here is going to talk about brevity of life and its seeming pointlessness. I want to give you some observations that sort of fill this truth out that I'm just passing through. Some observations from these first 11 verses in Ecclesiastes. The first is this world cannot truly satisfy me. This world cannot truly satisfy me. I want you to keep your Bible open if you don't mind, because I'm not going to put these individual verses back on the screen. So I want you to look when we go to each of these verses, and maybe just out to the side, if you want to write these observations, or your own sort of interpretation or retranslation, so to speak, of what I'm giving you here. Verse 2, absolute futility. And your version may say, vanity of vanities. Well, just be, be aware that in the King James, when it says vanity of vanities, it's not talking about just looking in the mirror and thinking how wonderful you are and that kind of vanity. It's talking about this idea of futility. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Now, that word there means something along the lines of being like a vapor or a breath. Or even something that's absurd. It it just doesn't make sense. You can't truly get your mind around it. I I read uh, one translation of this word that says that basically everything is just transitory. It's just passing through, again, the, the overall truth. So it's of no lasting value. The problem is that people are caught in the trap of believing that the things of this world are of lasting value. Therefore, we're believing lies. Life is brief, and everything in it seems to be unreliable. Nothing lasts. It's all frail. It's all futile. There's no seeming purpose to a lot of things that happen. Some things will seem pointless, and that's what he's saying. If you look at the idea that he's talking about, it's that nothing really satisfied at all. It's all sort of pointless, so we're all just passing through. And so what he says here is, seen on the whole... The experience that we have on earth is generally pointless and unsatisfying. Again, really encouraging. Just what you wanted to hear. Let's close in prayer and we'll all go out and live life that's pointless and unsatisfying. That is the secular point of view. He's saying nothing really lasts for very long. You think about it, just think about our, our technology. I mentioned this a little bit last week. Think about your TV that you may currently have in your home. Now, some of you may be hanging on to that old television you've had for a long time. It weighs about 800 pounds. It's got that big wood molding around a big console television on a swivel. 
color's not real great anymore. It's kind of, you know, blurry. And you got some little thing that was, you know, apparently was on there for quite a while. And it's kind of stained in the top of the screen. You can still read that score from about three years ago. It was on there. You know what I'm talking about. It's old, big old TV. But you think about the transition now that, that even that is made. You go from the times when, when you had your first television. And I the first ones that I remember were the ones where you still had to change the channel with the knob. Now, I'm old enough to remember that, all right? We still had those when I was a kid. All right? Somebody's thinking, you know, what if? Seriously. In fact, in 1995, when I moved in to Franklin Hall at Murray State University, that's the kind of TV I brought with me. It was down in the basement at Mom and Dad's house, and I'm like, man, it didn't really work right. But I'm thinking, hey, I got a TV at college, you know. So anyway, I took that thing. They laughed me out of the door. In fact, they just sit there wondering, what is that thing? And they kind of look at it, you know. And put that on eBay, you make some money, I guess. But but then, but you think about that. We had the, you know, and then you had the gravity ears you tuned in, you know, and one person stands up kind of behind the TV. You go up on the roof with the big antenna and you shout down, hey, is it good? No, it's not. Turn a little bit the other way. And you try to point exactly to where you think the power is. That never really works right. And then the channels are just flipping through like this. And going, you know what I'm talking about. And so technology then advances, and then you get the very first remote that I remember was attached with a cord to the TV, and you slid it back and forth. You all remember that kind of remote little box thing? Slid it back and forth, and you only had so far that you can go, so you had to sit pretty close to the television. Slide back, and then you get the remote that actually does something. Man, you know, about this big, you know, and, and, and you change and, and then you get the, the, uh, the TV that was a combination TV and DVD player. Man, oh man. The problem is the DVD player goes down, the whole TV shot. But you had one of those, you thought you were big time. Look what we got. Combo. You laugh at that now, but but then then you look at today's televisions, and it's just amazing to see that we used to just be seemingly satisfied. Now we would never go back to what used to be. Even those of you that are historians and you're nostalgic, you would probably say, you know, yeah, I like some old-fashioned stuff. I'm going to keep my high-definition 70-inch television. I'm going to keep it. You know, I ain't giving that one up. You think of how far that we have come, and yet even today's TVs are not where it ends. There will be something better very soon. Nothing, the teacher says, really lasts and can truly satisfy us. And it's amazing when something new comes out how quickly our satisfaction wanes with the old thing now that we think we have. You realize commercials are all based on creating dissatisfaction. Don't be fooled. When you watch commercials, I, I'm, I'm really kind of weird about this. I always read the fine print. That's all I look at in commercials. Just little things down at the bottom. We got DVR, so I just rewind. I read all the fine print. I think, y'all are crazy. You know, they just want to create dissatisfaction. The secular view in this, absolute futility, is that it's all pointless. There's no real sense in living or doing anything. There's no point to it all. Nothing lasts. Let me give you the biblical view. If you want to make a note in Ecclesiastes, sort of as a cross-reference, I'm going to turn, and this will be on the screen, to 1 John. Chapter 2. John writes these words, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him, because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the Word. World, rather. Look verse 17. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does God's will remains 
forever. The biblical view on this is that it's right. Nothing in this world can truly satisfy. Those things that we typically pursue, the things our flesh enjoys, like physical pleasure or sex or or the effects of alcohol and drugs or being good-looking and what you can receive from that, or even exercise or trying to stay young or food or whatever, those things our flesh enjoys cannot truly satisfied. They are passing away. The things that will captivate the lust of our eyes and impress us, our wealth, beauty, uh, being viewed as powerful and important, or, or maybe the things like it says, the pride in one's lifestyle, the things we can brag about, even if we don't want to admit that's what it is, the things we can do, the things we have, those things, the Bible says, are passing away. They will not last. And so if it's true, which I believe it is, that this world cannot truly satisfy what the teacher says, then we need the one who can. God himself and God alone can satisfy. And if you are not walking with him, then you are just chasing the wind. You really are. And you probably know that. I probably don't have to tell you that. If you're honest with yourself, you realize there's something that's just not quite right. I am empty. I probably don't have to tell you that. I just draw attention to it. If you are not walking with God, you're just chasing the wind because this world cannot truly satisfy. The second thing is this. I have so little to gain and so much to lose. I have so little to gain and so much to lose. Look back at verse 3 in Ecclesiastes 1. Great question. This is a question of the whole book. This sets up the whole book. What does a man gain for all his efforts he labors at under the sun? What do you gain for all that you do? Essentially what he's saying is there's no lasting benefit to all of our labor. Talking about any substantial achievement or some evidence that, that we've done something worthwhile, there's nothing to show at the end of it all. If you've retired from a job, your retirement gift hardly, hardly reflects the work that you put in. What do they give you? A watch? A little pen? A coffee mug? An eight pen set. I mean, it's all got the company logo on it anyway. You're like, if I love this company, now I wouldn't be retiring. Well, give me stuff that reminds me of the place I'm retiring from. I want to go home. You know, think about it. What do they offer you at the end of your time? I mean, it's something, I guess. But do you, does it really do you reflect what you did there? Probably not. But you worked hard. You put in lots of hours. I mean, you, you, you gave some of the best years of your life to that place. And they give you a coffee mug? Really? I'm not saying go in and demand something better. That's not my point, and it's probably not going to happen anyway, and you might be forced into early retirement if you do. That's not what I'm saying. All right? But, but what I'm telling you is that what he's saying here is that there seems to be no lasting benefit. You work your whole life, and you have very little to show. At the end, try to make a difference. You try to, to make the world a better place. You try to leave something for those who follow you. But it's really difficult sometimes to see if you've accomplished anything. So the secular view, his view on this, is to help us see that from that godless point of view, that it's all pointless. Even work is pointless. Nothing really matters. We're all on this treadmill, and we never accomplish really anything. What does a man gain for all his labors that he works at under the sun? The biblical view sort of reflects that to some degree, that you have so little to gain in this world, but so much to lose in it. And if you are focused on what you can gain in this world, you will lose it 
all. There's a great passage of Scripture that I refer to quite often because I really think it speaks volumes to our society today. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, Jesus talking to his disciples, and he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It doesn't, doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot to gain there. Verse 24, though, fills it out. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. And verse 25 is the exclamation point. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet forfeits, or he rather loses or forfeits himself? You have so little to gain in this world and so much to lose in it. I'll leave it at that. The next thing, let me give you some shocking truth. This world does not revolve around me. Now, I, I, you're saying, well, no joke. I know it doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around me. No, it does not. You make this personal, all right? And it's shocking to some of you. So pick yourself up off the floor and listen to the rest of the sermon here. This world does not revolve around me. Verses 4 through 7 are really interesting. They're in poetic form, and, and so they, they're, they're written for some effect and repetition. But look at it. A generation, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So people come, people go, the earth stays the same. We're only passing through and just very quickly replaced by other people. You realize there are no more World War I veterans in our country alive. All gone. World War One. Now you say, well, for some of you think, well, that's just a long time ago. For others, you think, well, you know what? I, I was uh, I was born not not too long after that, or maybe around that time. I, you know, and so for you, you think, oh my goodness, realize that, that the day is rapidly approaching when there will be no more living World War II veterans. Rapidly approaching. And then follow, if we just go by generations and we just equate them with, with the war in which they fought, you've got Korea and Vietnam up next. And it won't be long. We've got folks here in the church who served during those times. It won't be long until those generations are gone. And then the generations that have that have, have been a part of subsequent wars, and we just mark the time, it won't be long. People come, people go. That's what he says in verse 4. The sun rises, verse 5, and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to its place where it rises. The sun comes up, sun goes down every day. The same old, same old kind of deal. It doesn't depend on me to make it happen. Do you realize that? I don't have to get up in the morning, summon all that I can, and say, Son, rise. Typically, it's already up by the time I'm awake anyway. You know, I just, it does it on its own somehow. It doesn't wait on me. And you know, it doesn't stop just because I tell it to. It doesn't stop coming up and setting just because my life has been turned on end. And some of you have experienced that. Every day. This keeps going and going. This is what's the point. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns to its cycles. The wind seems to blow for no reason at all. I can't stop it. I can't direct it. I can't create it. It just goes in circles. Verse 7. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. <laughs> Think about that. The streams are flowing to the place, and they flow there again. The rivers run to the sea without any help from me or you. We went to St. Louis this last week and traveled up through uh, Wycliffe and, and, and saw uh, right around there where the rivers come together. 
And so as we're crossing the bridge to go over the Ohio, and we look back and we see Ohio run into the Mississippi, I commented to the kids that, you know, these boats and these barges that are here that we see now will soon be down the Gulf of Mexico. That's probably where they're going in many cases. I believe it was Lucy that made the comment, yeah, and this, this water that we're looking at will soon be in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, that's exactly right. You realize the Gulf of Mexico is not full yet? There's lots of water that flows into it. Ohio, it flows into Mississippi, and Mississippi flows on down and right into to the Gulf, and it's not, that's what he's saying here. They're just indifferent to my presence. They don't need me to help them at all. There's nothing that I have to do to push the water along. I can't even fill up the sea if I tried. And this keeps going in circles. Now, the secular view is that even this world seems to have no point. People come and people go. The earth stays the same. The sun comes up. The sun goes down and just seems to be in a hurry to get back to the spot to start all over again. The wind blows around. No real point. The rivers just keep flowing. They go to the sea. Even the earth and its cycles, they're, they're just pointless. They don't accomplish anything. That's what he wants you to see. They're the same no matter what. He wants you to understand that his secular point of view says that life is just this lonely experience where the world is just doing its thing and it doesn't care about me at all. And like the sun and the wind, I'm just going around in circles. And like the, the sea, I'll never be filled up no matter how long those rivers flow. Now, the biblical view, the opposite view, is that the vastness of this world proves that it doesn't revolve around me. And it's not about me, but it revolves around the Lord himself, and it's about him, because he is the creator, the sustainer, the director of it all. So it's true that the world, by and large, pays no attention to me whatsoever. The sun doesn't ask me, is it time to rise, and is it time to set? The Ohio River does not say, is it now time to flow into the Mississippi and then on to the Gulf of Mexico? Is that okay? The wind does not say to me, should I go this way or this way? None of it pays any attention to me whatsoever. The world does not revolve around me. That's a great truth. But it's an empty truth unless it's attached to the fact that the world does revolve around the Lord himself. And he is in control. And the next thing that I want you to observe is that chasing the wind is exhausting. Look at verse 8. All things are wearisome. They're just exhausting. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. The pointlessness of what he's saying here, this, this pointless existence that we have is beyond all words and comprehension. And the endlessness of it just wears you out. We see this all around. We try to explain and understand life and what happens and the things that go on. And it's, it's just frustrating a lot of times. The secular view is that, that, that if, if your focus is on how much you can gain and how much you can experience from this world, you're going to be really disappointed more now. Because it is pointless. It's futile You may be depressed. You may be anxious. You may be angry. The biblical view, though, comes in Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus will give us these words to those who are worn out by trying to accomplish some meaning in life apart from a real and loving relationship with the Lord. And he says in verse 28, Come to me, 
all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for yourself. What does it say in Ecclesiastes? All things are wearisome. Jesus says, you will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can chase the wind all day long. And you can try to accumulate and accomplish everything that this world can allow you to do. And yet you will wind up exhausted apart from Jesus Christ. Because only He can satisfy your soul from the inside out. Chasing the wind is going to wear you out. It's exhausting. Also, progress cannot produce what I need most. Progress cannot produce what I need most. Look at verse 9. This is just great. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can someone say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. Nothing really changes, no matter how everything may seem to change. New technologies may make things a little faster, a little easier, but people still die. The sun and wind, they still go in circles, and the rivers still flow to the sea. There is nothing new under the sun. We, we, the more things change, what? The more they stay the same. That's what he's saying. Now, from a, from a, a secular point of view, you're going to see here again, nothing matters. It doesn't matter what you do because there's, there's nothing new at all anyway. It's just apathetic. Who cares? So just use up whatever you can and move on to the next new thing and don't worry about it. The biblical view contradicts what this teacher says from a secular point of view. He says there's nothing new at all. Who can say this is new? God says he makes everything new. God is the one who each day, the Bible says, brings new mercies every single morning. Every day is a fresh day with the Lord. He is the one who brings new life physically. I've had the privilege of witnessing the birth of four children. New life coming from God. He is the one who brings new life spiritually. In 2 Corinthians it says, you are made when you are a part of Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. The old is all gone. God has made everything new. And He is the one, Jesus Christ, who one day, it says in Revelation, will come and will make everything new. A secular point of view says, "Eh, same old, same old, been there, done that. Biblical point of view says, no, 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 no. (laughs) You must not know my Savior because He makes everything new. And then finally, but don't close up just yet, I am easily replaceable. I am easily replaceable. Verse 11, there is no memory of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no memory among those who follow them. Realize that all of us will soon be forgotten. No, not me, not me. We'll all soon be Forgotten. Fame doesn't happen to, and certainly doesn't last, for very many people. What do they say? You get 15 minutes? Maybe. The rest of us, who don't quite capture that 15 minutes the right way, will be replaced and forgotten without much fanfare. 
no matter how hard you work and no matter how much you gain, you will be replaced and forgotten. So encouraging. It's true. Your job will one day be taken by someone else. Your house will one day be inhabited by someone else or torn down. Your stuff will be packed into an attic or sold at a yard sale. True? How much stuff you got in your attic from somebody that gave it to you? Think about it. How many, how many things did you get weaseled down for to a nickel? It started at a quarter and says, belong to my grandmother, and you're going to try to get me for a nickel at a yard sale. Isn't it true? I mean, your job, your house, your stuff will all go to someone else who will not care about the things that you did, and they will do it their way, and they will forget about you. I remember after my senior year of high school, we had a group that had been on the varsity team at Pleasure Ridge Park High School for four years. Four guys, all four years, and we all played pretty prominent roles. We called ourselves the Fab Four. Man, we were something. We were something. It was Eric Bishop and Eric Burden and Andre Montgomery and me, the Fab Four. And we made, you know, we didn't hide that very much either, and we took some ribbon from the other guys. And I remember when Andre, our shortstop, went to Coach Miller and said, Coach, what are you going to do next year without the Fab Four? Oh, they're going to win nothing, he said. What are you going to do? And Coach Miller looks at Andre and he says, let me tell you something. He said, next year, somebody's going to be playing shortstop. Now they're one number 11. He said, and somebody's going to be wearing number one. And none of us had a whole lot to say after that because we realized, number one, Coach Miller, and we wasn't too impressed with the Fab Four, you know. But secondly, we realized at that moment how replaceable we all were. Did you realize that? Somebody else next year played shortstop. I mean, they didn't go without a shortstop the next year because Andre graduated. They didn't go without a third baseman because I graduated. They didn't retire my number. Number nine was worn by someone else the following year. Much to my dismay, I expected to be plastered on the outfield wall. Didn't happen. Doesn't happen. Still waiting on that. The secular view is that if this is true, then there's really no point to what I do on earth. Nothing really matters. Who cares? I mean, others would look at this and say, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't believe that, that I'm replaceable. Those are the workaholics among us. Those are the people who can't stop for a second, can't turn themselves off because they feel as if they're irreplaceable. And if I don't answer this call or return this email or whatever it may be or respond to this text message, then life is going to fall apart as I know it because I am irreplaceable. The biblical view is that, yeah, in one sense, we do need to be aware of how replaceable we are. We do need to be aware that most people are going to forget us. But we also need to be aware in a sober and both, both sober and excited way that one day we will stand before the one who will never forget us. And we will stand before the Lord himself and give an account for our lives because he sees everything. He knows everything, and He does not forget us in any way. I'm just passing through. I wonder how you would live if you really believed that was true. I wonder how you would live if you believed the things on the screen are true. 
the truth is that most people who claim to be Christians are no different from the rest of people. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We're going after the same goals in most cases. We're trying to gain as much as possible from this life. We're looking for happiness and fulfillment in the things of of the world, the stuff we have, the things we can do. We're trying to make our mark on the world or be sure that our kids do. We're attempting to manipulate the world so that we can achieve our own personal and family goals. We, by and large, as Christians, are, are sometimes not that much different. The truth is that the harder you try the less things probably are going to change. more things change, the more they stay the same anyway. You can't truly change reality and all that there is. Only God can do that. And so I wonder how you would live if you truly believed all the stuff that you wrote down in the back of your book. If you took a biblical view and approach to life. Here's what I want you to do this week. Make a note of this somewhere. I want you this week to make two lists. I want you to make a start-doing list and a stop-doing list. If you live as if you truly believe I'm just passing through, that life has no point apart from Jesus Christ, and that I have so much to lose and so little to gain in this world, so I'm going to leverage my life toward Jesus Christ and the things of heaven, not the things of earth, I want you to make a start-doing list. And maybe it include things like, I will hold on loosely to the things of this world. I will steward the resources I have and of this world for those who will follow me. I'll be content with the life that God has given me. I will accept my limitations. Maybe you do that. I'm going to start doing these things. And then you'd have a stop doing list. So you work this out between you and the Lord. In light of these, these scripture and these truths, I will stop trying to control the world. Some of you live your lives every day. Listen, I know the temptation trying to control the world. And you think you're pretty good at it. I will stop trying to be everything and everywhere. I will stop trying to be irreplaceable. I will stop trying to be remembered forever. I'm happy anyway. I will stop trying to avoid the unavoidable. We're all still tracking toward the end of our lives. I will stop trying to accumulate things I'll never be able to keep. Stuff isn't inherently bad, but if you're just trying to accumulate all this stuff, it's going in the attic, it's going in the yard. I will stop trying to get from the world what it cannot give. What needs to be on your start doing list in light of this truth? And what needs to be on your start doing list? In a godless view, there may be nothing new under the sun. But God has promised to make you new when you repent and turn down. And even in your life right now, you say, oh, no, no, not me. He can't do that for me. Yes, He can. He can make you new and has promised to do so when you repent and turn to Him. And maybe that's where you need to start this morning is in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ who came to earth and died for your sin and mine to make you new, to make me new. Let's pray. How would life be different? 
I truly believe what we've seen this morning. And how would life be different if you truly gave it to the one and only one who can make you new? Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, please help us. We who are just passing through. To hold on loosely to the things of this world and to hold tightly to you. Make us new, we pray, Lord Jesus.